everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 28th episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Aron Rabinowitz. Aron is the head of marketing for Red Giant, based in New York. He wears an incredible number of hats, including executive producing and sometimes writing films to promote Red Giant software, and with previous guest on the show, Seth Worley. We at IV also have had the great opportunity to work with Red Giant and Roan as a client on a project this year that you can find on our website, identityvisuals.com. And so uh, Roan has that client perspective as well. Uh, he has a rich history in the industry that we'll explore, starting all the way back as a production intern on Sesame Street. Uh, so I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on Animalators. I really appreciate your time and, and your willingness to, to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Man, we, I think we, we first met when we got the excellent opportunity to work for Red Giant. Um, I think through Seth Worley, who's a previous guest on Animalators, kind of connected us. And obviously, you guys work together. Um, but yeah, we got to work together on a project for uh, Red Giant volume um which was awesome and and then ever since i was like ah oh, we should get him on the podcast that'd be so great well i appreciate it. you guys did a really good job of making something that is otherwise incredibly boring seem exciting which is <laughs> Thanks, uh man. you know volume program it's just like selling large amounts people companies that want to buy like 150 licenses of red giant software there's no really exciting way to you know particles you can tell trap code particular and show like stuff from iron man you can't really do that with volume <laughs> licensing i can show people sitting at a desk in a long row it's not really exciting so you guys managed to make it look visually really interesting and sound good. Hey, well, thanks, man. Good. Well, a big part of that was you letting us do something fun. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. But, um, well, let, let's start here. I, I, I read on your website um, that you were at some point a, a production intern for Sesame Street. And I, I'm guessing, and I think it was an internship, so I'm guessing that was way back. So um, how did that happen? Like, how did you kind of get started in this? Did you go to college for, like, animation or, or filmmaking? I actually studied uh, psychology uh, at, at college, and I, um, which prepared me for Hollywood, surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> but you know, um, I worked. I worked. Uh, my last year of college, I actually worked in a psych ward every Friday, and that totally turned me off from working in psychology. It was oh, wow. so depressing. People, you couldn't really help them. You know, a lot of these people were long-term care, and it just wasn't the kind of thing I, I realized I wanted to do. Yeah. So I uh, kind of lost, and after that, after college, I got a an internship at Sesame Street in a really interesting way. Um, while I was still trying to figure things out in college, at the end of that, I, I knew somebody that worked at Sesame Street. He was not in a position to kind of give me any kind of job or anything like that, but he, he was just working on the show, or uh, actually on several, he was the head of research, you know, like for, like, but basically understanding how children think and then trying to make sure the scripts and stuff kind of played into those kinds of ideas. And so, um, he just put me in touch with a producer just to talk. I told him, I just want to talk to a producer, understand what they're doing there, how it works. And, I, and he put me in touch with a producer who I just said, listen, I want I want 10 minutes of your time. That's it. And uh, that was it. She gave me 10 minutes of her time. And I just asked her what she does and how, how the process works. And after 10 minutes, you know, I said, hey, you know, I really appreciate that, that this is going so well. But, 
you know, I, you booked this time for 10 minutes. This is the amount of time I asked you for. Let's just say, uh, let's just kind of end it here, but thank you. And she was so grateful that I did not try to uh, take more time than she had offered that she said, just call me anytime you want. And, you know, like we can talk about if you're looking for an internship at some point, maybe the possibility, but there was a catch, which was you'd be, still be in college to get an internship there because they needed to, um, they needed to like give you college credit for it. And I had just graduated, so it really wasn't a thing that I thought I'd be able to do. But anyway, kind of left it at that. And then a few months later, they called me because uh, one of their interns quit, had a family thing, couldn't be there anymore, and they couldn't give college credit to anybody, so they just needed to fill the space. And uh, and I got that. Wow. And it was just because just because I was really respectful of her time, and you know, just very appreciative, and stayed in touch with her. So yeah, it was. I was a shock. I was really shocked. I was pretty sure that that was never going to happen. So I got that internship, and a lot of it is, you know, the kind of stuff you do. You go through scripts, you, you copy, you, you print, you you know, you run, run things up to different people's office. Every once in a while, you bring a broken Muppet to uh, to Henson <laughs> Studios, which was pretty awesome, I have yeah. to say. Uh, and then you're on set, you know, a minimal amount of time, but it was at least that first uh, round. And then because I just, you know, I did good work and I was really hardworking, um, they gave me a second internship there, a full semester. Wow. And, uh, and there I got to do a lot more interesting stuff. You know, I was on set a little more and I just, I mean, really cool was like being, seeing more of the process and, and being given more to do. And even though it's Scott work, you know, you still learn so much. And I hear people say, you know, internships, they don't they don't like the idea of it where people aren't getting paid. And I know that there's all these laws now in place. But back then, I mean, I'll tell you, there was no way it was so hard to get into this. And the people that I met, forget about all the things I learned, just the people that I connected with was super important because later a lot of those people went on to do some great things. And I know them. And yeah. that's been really awesome. That's super interesting. So, whoa, like the the switch from psychology to intern at Sesame Street, like what? Like, was there like kind of a prior interest? Were you just like a big oh, yeah. Sesame Street fan, or like? You... I mean, you know, I, anything <laughs> I could do to meet Frank, meet Frank Oz would just about do it. But no, that, I, I I grew up on Sesame Street. I always loved it. Loved the Muppets. I was always fascinated with how they did it, how they brought those puppets to life. Uh, it's the funniest thing because I actually one of the people that I that I, that I become friends with over the years through just my work in motion graphics and visual effects is a guy named Jesse Averna, who um, he runs a thing called Post Chat. And uh, he goes by Droid on Twitter. And he was uh, assistant directing uh, for one show, like his last week there before he moved over to Disney. And he invited he invited me and my kids to come out to the set. I hadn't been there in like 20 years, maybe less than that. I think about it. I'm trying to remember the, the, the time difference. But it was like maybe more like 17 years I hadn't been on the set. And um, man, I, I had warned my kids ahead of time that the Muppets were puppets, <laughs> and they totally got that. But when they when they took Big Bird's costume off, my daughter was like, "What the?" And I was like, "I told you they were all puppets." And she's like, "Yeah, but not Big Bird." You know, <laughs> so. that must be horrifying. It's like the mm. you see you see the truth behind your your. Oh man, the the first thing I saw when I walked onto the set, you know, like 17 years ago, was was Snuffleupagus hanging from the ceiling like they had shot him and mounted him. It was it was horrifying, but it was also really like just amazing to watch them do what they do. So so Sesame Street internship, and then and then you're back at at Sesame Street. So like, what was kind of your your mindset right now as far as like your future career? 
I, you know, I thought, I'm, I honestly, it was kind of wide open. I was like, do I want to be a Muppeteer? I had met this uh, Muppeteer named John Tartaglia uh, when I was on the set, uh, my first time on the set of Sesame Street, and he was like 15 or 16 years old. He was the star of Avenue Q when it first came out. Yeah. But I met him at like, such a young age, and I was like, wow, you can really do this even young. And and um, I kind of just got in my head that I wanted to do that. But it turns out I'm not a very good puppeteer. Um, so that was not a career choice. Uh, it turns like, just like in science, when I discovered I wanted to be a veterinarian early on in my career, it turns out you need to know science. So that also kind of stood in my way of doing that. Um, but I could like, it was just really interesting to see everything. And what happened was, you know, I've always been interested in animation. I saw, wow, you've never heard this story before. I saw Star Wars in the theater when I was three, uh, and then wanted to, but that's actually not how it worked. I saw Star Wars and I was amazed by it. But the same year, in 1977, they showed a um, they showed a like an R2D2 and C3PO for one hour on TV, explain how visual effects work. And I remember it so oh, vividly. Wow. I, and I actually found that video on YouTube last year and rewatched it. And it was seminal. Like I really, I remember the the blue screen and learning about this and how my mind had opened after that. And I knew, in my heart of hearts, really that's what I want to do. I want to be an animator. I want to be visual, doing visual effects, and like it was all kind of like a kind of a pipe dream. Because how the heck is some you know some guy who's you know doesn't have any connections to this industry or know anything about any, any of this stuff going to ever do it? But in my mind, in my heart, it's what I wanted to do. So uh, through a lot of lucky connections, I kind of just you know found myself there. But I, I really do believe that getting getting myself there is you know there's a lot of luck, which is the Luck is not a thing that you have and it's there. It's you be prepared for it and you meet an opportunity and you're ready for it. So a lot of preparation. So next, I, I understand you became a, a producer at, at Viacom. Was that how did that yeah, transition it, like kind of happen between Sesame Street and, and that? Actually, it went like this. I was a production intern at Sesame Street for about a year, a little less than a year, because the first uh, couple of weeks of that first semester wasn't, you know, wasn't there. And then and then I left uh, that after I finished my internship, I went to work at a company called Young Audiences where they set up arts programs in public schools. And there's oh, like wow. like a lot of schools where kids are at risk of leaving. You know, like I was once at a school that had a 98% dropout rate in the Bronx. It was scary and dangerous. Wow. But at the same point, when the kids saw this artist who did stop motion, like they wanted to come back to school. And it yeah. was like that was those were the kind of programs that really helped kids like stay and be excited about coming to school. And and it was great. Uh, but then one of my friends who I'd met as an intern, she was now working as a, you know, she's working as a PA at Sesame Street. And she told me about this job she saw opening there, which was a technical manager. And I had been working, you know, I had been doing a lot of technical work with uh, young audiences. And so that brought me back to Sesame Street with some knowledge that I didn't have when I left. And so I was supporting the interactive team, the team that makes games for Sesame Street, but also did some of the animation for the show. And because I was supporting them as a technical manager, I ended up having to use all those tools myself. And I learned to use After Effects. And I was also reading, you know, the book by Chris and Trish Meyer, uh, creating motion graphics with After Effects. I was really trying to learn as much as I could just to do my job well. And before I knew it, I was actually doing some animation for the show as well. Hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up back at Sesame Street doing that. And then what happened was, uh, you know, they, they actually closed down the interactive department at Sesame Street. They, I think they licensed it out to Mattel or some other company. I can't remember. It's quite a while ago. But again, you know, people that I had met in my internship, there was someone at Viacom. And that person told me, hey, we're looking for a producer. And you kind of had your skill set for for all the stuff you've done supporting all of the the animators, all the other people that you've kind of brought together on these projects. That's really what a producer for this kind of project does. And so I went to work there 
on a show for Noggin, which was like the first year that they ran, which is like a children's educational network that was a child of Sesame, Sesame Workshop and, and Nickelodeon. So yeah, I got there and because I couldn't afford an animator for some of my segments, I just ended up doing it myself oh, wow. and ended up working with the team at Nickelodeon and they liked my work and they're like, hey, you should send us a demo reel. And I'm like, well, I sent you my reel like three times in the last six months. <laughs> and they said, hey, come into this room. And they take me into this room that looks like, you know, when that guy is building in, in, uh, in uh, Close Encounters when he's building the mountain in his house, right? Yeah. Like it's a mountain of videotapes, oh, wow. right? And I mean actual videotapes <laughs> before, you know, DVDs, right? So he's like, just find me yours and we can do it. And I'm like, how about I just bring you one tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, that's a better idea. So I did. And then I got, I got hired to work for Nickelodeon Digital, which was like a, it wasn't Nickelodeon, the, the the channel. It was a kind of a subset of that, and we would we would do work for all of the Viacom channels, whether wow. it was VH1, MTV, Nickelodeon, Nick at Night, that kind of thing. Oh wow! And I worked there for a while. So what doing what exactly? Like were you man? You said you were managing teams, but you were also animating as no. well. Yeah, no. I, as a producer, I was managing uh, managing a bunch of people that we we did. It was a really interesting kind of experiment that has only proven now in this day and age to actually work. But back then, it was really not feasible. There was the idea that you would watch TV and be on your computer at the same time and interact with the. So they were. You remember uh, yeah. sort of Ghost Rider? You remember Ghost Rider? No, I do not. Okay, wow. That is. Yeah. Uh, that, thanks for making me <laughs> say yes so I don't feel. I'm old. sorry. Yes. No, oh, was, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. On PBS, <laughs> there was a show called Ghost Rider. And so what we did, one of the kinds of things that we did was we would show like old episodes of Ghost Rider. And we would have the kids interact with Ghost Rider online. So they would type it and we would show that interaction on the screen at the same time. And it, it was kind of like a, a sort of. It was half baked, not in the idea, but in the technology. You know, people didn't have laptops that they were just sitting with on their mm. computer at the time. I mean, there were laptops, but you didn't, you know, people didn't have an iPad or a small computer that they would sort of sit on the computer, sit on a couch watching TV with. So we ended up with not like enough of a kind of audience that would sustain it. Yeah. But we like, it was a really interesting experiment to see would people want to interact with TV? Would they want to learn? Would they want to ask questions? Now you've got Twitter for that, right? You know, people live stream, like they tweet while they're watching. You know, the actors do that or the characters do that and people can interact with them. And so this is kind of like a precursor to that. Yeah. And so, you know, we did this at night because we would air uh, in New York and then also like on the in L.A., you know, we'd kind of have people based there. And so I was I was like there from basically from 7 p.m. until about 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., kind of managing this block of television and really honestly it was five of us in the building in the hall <laughs> kind of we would we would run around up and down the halls on scooters like during breaks because like there was nobody there to stop us but you know so we did that and uh and then yeah so that was when i was managing people we had like different people who were like communicating with the kids and you know we had to basically moderate back you know make sure that there were kids were safe that there wasn't anybody in the room that was super creepy we always we occasionally had super creepy people in there you know <laughs> so we had to take care of that and uh yeah but i was always passionate about animation and i would take any opportunity i could as a producer to animate and you know so when i got the opportunity to work at uh, nick digital it, it was exactly the path I wanted it to take. Yeah. But what was really interesting was that all that stuff I'd done before, a little bit later, became really valuable. It wasn't valuable as an animator, but to begin managing people more and more as I went. So you're spending all this time, you know, you're managing people, but you're also you're also animating. Um, I, I know that you eventually started your own company. Was this kind of the beginnings of, of that desire to kind of have your own team and, and kind of control your own destiny of, of sorts? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Let me, let me just kind of take a little bit of a step back, which is to say yeah. that during the time that I was working as an animator at, at Nickel, Nick Digital, Nickelodeon Digital Animation Labs was the full name. But during the time that I was doing that, 
I started to learn a lot of really cool stuff that you just can't learn in books. Hmm. I was working with some cool people. And also, I was solving problems I've never had to solve before, and that also really challenged me a ton. And so I started making tutorials about what I was learning and what I was doing. Oh, yeah. And I was I was asked by Creative Cow uh, to, to do a weekly podcast. And I thought podcast, it was 2004. Okay, in 2004, yeah. I thought podcasting was like a fad, totally like, yeah, no, this is never going to catch on. I'm going to say, Zach, this is never going to catch on. Never. All right. So I, I really was convinced it was kind of just a lot. I'm like, sure, let me do it. And I start recording it. And before I know it, I have like 40,000 people a week downloading wow. this animation podcast that, that isn't, there's not even YouTube. It's, it's on like, it's on, on iTunes, you know, like I didn't I know how people managed to figure out how to download that stuff, uh, but we were making this. And we went for four years, and I it just bet I built up this sort of like this library of information. People started uh, hiring me to come fly out to like to like CNN or like professional hockey teams, like not the players, but the people who do the graphics for all the stuff to go out like and actually show them cool stuff. And I would say to them, you know that you know everything I know. Like I don't have like a secret <laughs> cachet of information that I'm not sharing with you. I put everything online. They're like, yeah, you know, we want you to come out. You'll you'll teach and then you'll show us and we can ask questions too. And that was great. So I really like, I really enjoyed doing that too. But teaching and, and sharing my inf my knowledge with people has always been like the cornerstone of everything that I've done. And and even uh, in part, we started a um, like a, a user group in New York called AfterX New York, which ran for six years that I started with uh, Dennis Radicke from Adobe and Jim Godoldick, um, who who is at, I'm not sure if he's actually there now, but he, he was at GoPro for a long time. He might still be there. Oh, wow. Uh, but we, we kind of, uh, we just had this idea that we're going to have people meet, and we thought nobody would show up, and the first week was 80 people, and, and it's heightened, you know, at the height of its awesomeness, it was at like 300 people. Wow. A, you know, a month, every month, we would have people just come do it. And so we'd have different people come share their, their knowledge. I would, every once in a while, I'll get up and do a presentation on something cool, but yeah, it was really great. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So, like, were you? I don't know. It was just a, there's just kind of like overflow of information that you just wanted to to get out and share with other people, or did you, were you kind of using well, I, it as, a, as always, a tool to learn for yourself? Or yeah, I've always believed that that um, you know people who don't share their secrets. And let's be clear, there's not corporate secrets. That's another thing. But your knowledge <laughs> of how you your your knowledge of your technique, and I've seen people who hoard that information, hmm. and that that it always shocks me because I believe that. That first of all, sharing sharing information it just creates a tremendous amount of goodwill, and you know, and to this day, that goodwill comes back to help me all the time. The fact that I helped people years ago, people are often want to help me, which is awesome. It wasn't yeah. why I did it, but it's it's part of building a community. But knowledge, you know, I've heard this said, knowledge wants to be free, um, and if you don't share that information, someone else is going to figure it out, and that information is going to get out there anyway. So mm. for me, it was just about you know doing what's natural to me is to help people do the, help people in their work when i was when i was a producer my job was literally to help other people get their jobs done like be there for them and, and yeah. support them you know and so that's and that's what this is and even my role at red giant yeah, you know a lot say. of that is, <laughs> is is like that too yeah as you say that's great foreshadowing for like basically what you're doing now at red giant i mean red giant just basically all they do is they exist to help animators i don't know make better work and and yeah you're a big i mean a huge part of that which is awesome it's been a, it's been a nice ride there. Yeah, but so you were asking about being a teacher, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Was this was this about the time that you were you started teaching classes? Because um, I know you teach at Pratt for uh, at least a little while. Yeah, a couple of years. Wow. I taught at Pratt. I had, I had um, I had taken a, a I I've been using 3D Studio Max for a long time. It's 3D you know animation software. Um, and I I uh, 
I went I wanted to learn Maya because at Viacom there were there was kind of they were using Cinema 4D but they were phasing that out at the time. It's really come back with a vengeance by the way. Cinema 4D <laughs> is like for motion graphics is like the tool to use. Oh, but yeah. back then it wasn't and and they were moving into Maya and so I wanted to learn it. So I took a I took two semesters of Maya and I was using it every single day at work to the point where like the class almost became like it was my place to go and ask my teacher questions. It wasn't really to learn like how do I do X Y and Z. It was like, "Hey, I know you want to teach about how to use a spline, but now I've got this particle system I've built. Like, you know, so I basically paid for, uh, you know, like an hour and a half of my ability to ask teacher completely unrelated questions. It's, I'm sure drove him crazy, but, you know, I learned a ton through that too. And by the time that year was over, he was moving on to another school. Uh, he, was, he was moving. And I, I, he told the people at the school that I knew this stuff cold, and then they asked me to teach it. So I taught it for a couple of years. I taught that and I taught After Effects for a few years at Pratt. And I loved doing it because I was teaching like professionals as opposed to like college students. I was actually teaching people who were doing this every day. So it was a real challenge to me. Yeah. I had to I had to know stuff and I had to be able to answer questions. I, you know, they were not coming from a place of not knowing anything. They were they were pushing me hard. And that that during that period, I probably felt like I dreamed about animation. I dreamed about doing things, dreamed about solutions. Like, I don't mean like I dreamed to have them. I mean, I would go to bed at night and I would be doing the same work I was doing during the day, you know, only sleeping, right? Like in my head. <laughs> and uh, I, I, that's happened to me actually for coding because I've, I've, I've coded, uh, I've worked on coding for some of our plugins um, once I've created like Hollow Matrix. Oh, and wow. during that period when I actually get into the zone of coding, I go to sleep at night and I and I dream about coding, trying to solve some of the problems <laughs> I've had. Uh, Dan Eberts does really the hard work. This guy that this uh, he, he's an amazing guy. Oh, he yeah. knows this stuff cold. But but when I'm trying to solve these little things, I I know what what I want to have happen. Um, the worst part about it is you cannot save your work, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Like with with solving like problems as a as an animator, like oh I can get up the next day and like put that into work. I had to like code for four hours more just to make up for what I did not save my work in my dream that night before. <laughs> Yeah, at least you get to like save the ideas that you dream up for animation. Exactly, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. The dreams. I would go to bed at night saying I need to solve this problem, and then I'd go to bed. And it, it, I, thankfully, look, <laughs> I don't code much, but when I do that, like my brain just kind of switches gears from the way I think and the way I do things because it's a hard way for me to think. I'm not a I'm not a coder by nature, but you know, I I do enjoy the process of of solving problems that yeah. way if I can. So definitely. Yeah. So, so teacher, you know, I, I became a teacher and all of this stuff, this teaching and this working with people and helping them to do their work better. All of that eventually came into play when I wanted to start my own company and I did, and it became managing other artists and managing clients. And, you know, and it was a really interesting time because I was sort of sort of in control of my own destiny but i think anybody who's ever owned their own business can tell you that you work 80 <laughs> hours a week so you don't have to work 40 and i was working more like 100 and i loved it but i didn't have kids and then i had kids and i was like wow i i do not want to be working these kinds of hours i really want to see my kids and so i uh i started looking at where i could possibly go to work and the place that i settled on was i want to work at red giant i use our tools every day I love them. I think they have no training what to speak of virtually any training on their site. I can really help with that. So I picked up the phone, got in touch with someone there, and she said, I'll put you in touch with the with this, you know, the owner of the company, one of the two co-owners. Um, and uh, the first thing he said when he picked up the phone, it's like, hey, how you doing? We're not going to hire you. And uh, and I was like, but I think, he's like, but I think we can work together. And he gave me all these scenarios. I was like, nope. You're going to hire him. He goes, we're really not hiring. We're a very small company. We want to stay that way. We're, you know, six employees, maybe seven, I think, at that time. Um, but we're really not looking to expand the, the company. And 
And uh, I, my wife is a management consultant. She's like leadership development and she helps people within companies. Companies, like she either works within a company or in other parts of her career. She has uh, like been a, a consultant that helps go into different companies and they help them find leadership within the within the company. They help create like clarity of jobs. People sometimes don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. They're working there for years and you ask them what they do, they don't know. <laughs> so she helped me put together this sort of proposal that explained what I would do for them over the next year and a half. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do, but to yeah. really kind of make it very clear, it's really great to have her as a partner on that. And so I, I put this in and I pitched it to Red Giant and they liked it and they hired me as a contractor. And then six months later, they hired me uh, full time. And then now it's about eight years later and um, I'm the head of marketing, it, and and but that involves a lot more than it sounds. Really, kind of lame, but you know, you know what we do? We make films, we do training, we uh, I mean, things I get my hands on. I get to help design software. I'm very involved in the process of feature, like what features go into it, testing it, and 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 really like in so many ways, like they treat marketing at Red Giant like it's it's a you don't make a product unless you can think of the marketing beforehand. What's the yeah. reason behind that product? So. Marketing is a much deeper role than you might think. Like at another company where they say, okay, we've got this product ready to go. Let's roll out some, a marketing campaign. This is much more of a deeper integration with the product team, which I, which I love working with. Yeah, so how does, what does that process look like? How do you guys decide what products you're gonna work on and what products you're, you're gonna release? Well, you know, look, we have we have creative minds behind a lot of those products, like uh, Stu Mashwitz. People know him for uh, color correction. He's yeah. the, the he's the guy behind um, Magic Bullet Suite, and also uh, Shooter Suite. And Stu, uh, you know, has a vision for what he wants a product to do, and you know, a lot of it comes from him wanting to do something. Or for, frankly, when Seth and I work on a project together, like one of our Red Giant films, we're like, man, if only there was this thing <laughs> that we had. And then we're like, well, maybe we should think about making that thing, and we start talking about what that's about. And kind of, so some of our products come born out of our lack of having something when we're making something and sometimes it comes we just wish we had it and sometimes yeah. it comes from the industry just needs this there's not a good version of this you know we try not to solve problems that have already been solved but um but we but we do try to but even when we do that when it occasionally happens we we try to do it so much better that it's it, it's not even a thing like it's not even a comparison you yeah. know so yeah so that's that process is a little kind of it it, it differs from project to project on on Red Giant Universe, which is a set of tools for motion graphics artists and for editors, or especially for editors who want motion graphics, I just kind of built at that. that that's a, we have a development environment that's really conducive if you're an artist to creating tools. And Seth has built some stuff. Um, I've I've built a, a couple of products and things that I love and things I've worked on, like VHS, which is one of my favorite products that Red Giant makes. It's a you apply it to your digital really awesome looking video and it makes it look super <laughs> crappy VHS so authentically so that like you sometimes you have to pull it back because it really looks like it came out in the 80s and you know we Harry Frank is a is a one of our you know one of our guys here at Red Giant he's you know he, he worked for a while in marketing and now he's on the product team he's got this really awesome 80s aesthetic because like me that's when we grew up you know we, we grew up and watching this stuff and you know he he, he made that with uh, crumple pop and me working with him like it's so authentic it's I mean it's incredible and and I'm not just saying I'm not trying to like there's plenty of great stuff that Red Giant has but that one in particular stands out because it's used on TV. I, I can't turn on a, a show that's showing anything on VHS that I don't immediately know that, <laughs> that just from little things that the creators of the software would know make it ours, you know? 
Does that does that ruin a lot of things for you when you're just like, oh, oh. I know that what that is. My wife cannot stand watching TV shows <laughs> with me. I was actually watching. Um, my my boss recommended I I, I watch this, uh, and and we were kind of in a show hole. We had no good shows to watch. We kind of finished everything on Netflix that we want to watch. So I was watching Limitless. And um, it's a fun show. It's not like my necessarily my favorite kind of show, but it's like fun. There's it, it's not like a deep, you know. It's yeah. things always end well on that show. You know, it's like one yeah, of those yeah. kinds of shows. But they use a ton of glitch and hollow matrix, which I which I designed. And and I watched it. I'm like, my, I, I can't no, I can't not see it. Like I'm like, oh, there it is, oh, there it is. And I was like, could you please stop that? Just stop that. You know. And all of a sudden, you're completely out of the story, and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so on your Twitter, you are a self-described mographer and visual artist turned executive producer and writer. Um, so I, I'd love to talk about that transition um, that you made kind of over time from, from being somebody who is kind of in, in the thick of it, um, you know, moving around. And, and I know you do. You still code and you, you still keyframe and, and do all these things. Um, yeah. But but now you're you produce things. You you're actually a client on on a lot of your projects even. Um, yeah. So I guess f- first, there's a lot to unpack in that. Let, let's just first kind of talk about that that transition because um, I think that's a transition that a lot that a lot of people struggle with as they kind of um, I don't know as they move up in roles from like maybe maybe yeah. a designer to an art director and all of a sudden you're <sighs> you know you're you're leading people and that's and that's a whole new skill set and I think it can be very challenging. So. You know, I did not, I, I don't know, I don't know if I had ever had a plan, at least not originally, but one day I was sitting next to, I was like 26 or 27, and I was sitting next to a guy who was 40, a little younger than I am now, I'm 42, I was sitting next to a guy, and he was doing the same job as me, and for the record, I didn't think there's anything wrong with that, like, he, he loved what he was doing, but that was the moment when that happened, and I realized that it's possible that I could spend the next 12 years, you know, in the same role, like I, I, I just I, I realized that that's not what I wanted for myself. Like I wanted to do something different than that. I, I wanted to always be growing, and um, and I just you know I said I, I don't again because keeping in mind he wasn't running his own company. He and I were working on the same on the same exact project, doing the same exact kind of work. And I just felt that I don't think that I can go to forty doing the same kind of thing. Like I have to figure something out, and you know the over time you know building doing that training the the podcasting and having that experience as a producer all of that really helped because it helped solidify what it was i wanted to ultimately do and when i came to red giant you know i said basically i want to create community for you guys i want to create training i want to be involved with the development of software i want i just want to do as much as i could in the realm of 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 doing software but for visual effects artists and animators and to be like a really like to really be involved in that process where the ideas that i have get become reality and over time at Red Giant, like when I started, it was just me. And then now, you know, I have a team of people that work in marketing. Seth is one of them, you know, for, he's a director, but he does those films for, 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 as a part of our marketing. I have somebody who's an amazing web designer. He also is uh, doing some film projects for us too, because he wants to do it. And we really encourage that. So he's been working on a, on a short film for Red Giant. Oh, wow. And, and uh, you know, I have then I have people. I, I've got a, a person on our team who does something that I would never want to do, which is look at data, marketing data, stuff coming <laughs> in. She's amazing and like super talented in that arena. But it's like I don't have the head for it. But I have a team of people that can do things I can't do. And it's hard to believe this if you've never been there. 
but I really take a tremendous amount of pride in what my team accomplishes because I'm, I'm helping them, even if I'm not doing that work myself. I mean, yeah, I get into After Effects. I'm using it almost every day because I want to use it. I like trying new things. I have ideas. But the stuff that you see come out of Red Giant, you know, stuff that Seth does or Harry, Frank does or any of the people that like, you know, are the, how, the beauty of our website. Like, I'm not actually doing those things myself. Maybe a couple of little videos here or there. Maybe maybe I'm sending some ideas on artwork. And I, and I really do give a lot of feedback. That's really important. The feedback process and being open and honest and leading people with honest feedback and, and just, you know, never compromise unless you there is a time to compromise to be fair but not compromising because i'm lazy about it or because i just don't want to try any harder yeah like that's a big part of it too and and when you rise to that occasion i think people just want to keep up with you you know they they see you're doing good work they it's leadership by just by example and they want to do it too plus recognizing the awesomeness that they that they bring to the table and letting them know about it is also super important but but it's really it's really like i i i I read this thing at Netflix once where they said that they their culture is a culture of picking up the trash <laughs> if it's not and that's what I believe in it's I'm gonna get in there and help and fix it and that 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 is you know to me that's the person I want to work for and my yeah. my boss at Red Giant the CEO is a very much like that too and I see that with the people that perform amazingly at Red Giant they they don't wait to be told what to do everybody is like hey i want to do this this and this my biggest problem with my team is reining people in it's like oh, well you know look we can only do five things today so <laughs> is that one one of the five things you want to do right is that going to move the needle today and so yeah that's kind of how we do it and and yeah that's kind of how the process works we just we, we look at the most important problems to solve and we do our best to solve them so so do you miss uh your your time actually um, do you like, do you still get a lot of time to actually get, get your hands in, into projects and actually kind of make, make things? And if not, do you, do you miss that? I, I, you know, I, I miss it a little bit be, be just for this, like, because it's a thing that I did, but I don't miss it because I'm not doing other awesome stuff Yeah, and I still do do some of it. I mean, I'm, I, I, when, when a product is coming out, actually, like when the last app code release came, there's a short period of time where where I'm using it and I know it more than virtually anyone else in the world, for, except for Trap Code. It's Harry Frank with Magic Bullet. It's Stu Mashowitz. But I am like I have to create all the marketing materials around it. I have to understand those products through and through, and I have to give feedback to the team through that process of what's not working, why we can't go out with this feature, why we need this feature. Sometimes my requests make it in. Sometimes they don't. But for like for maybe like two weeks, like I live this stuff. I breathe it. I sleep it. And and that's actually really helps me carry me through those times that I don't. Hmm. You know, I take I, I can take a break from being from from spending as much time as I do during that period. But you know, with Magic Bullet, this last launch that we just did for Magic Bullet Suite 13, I I spent more time doing color correction and uh, you know and and working with video denoising and and all the stuff that we have in there than I've done in in months. And it just filled my day. Like and I disappeared. It's funny because I told my team, listen, I'm going to disappear for the next two weeks. Just focusing on this stuff so I can really get a handle on it from where we where we envision the product to be to where it is today so that I can now come back out and write and tell people what this product is about. And so and so I do I do get to have that time. You know, again, Stu Mashwitz the guy who created it knows more than anybody about that product. But like from the perspective of anybody else in the world, like I'm I have to understand it to reach out to people about it. And same with with Trapcode, you know, Petter Norby who created Trapcode and Harry Frank. These are guys who are like living it every day, but when it comes time to marketing it and being able to eloquently explain it, you know, you can't do that without really truly understanding it. So, yeah, that's well, kind of how it goes for me. Yeah, and, and like writing is a, is a huge part of that too, right? I mean, um, you know. I, and that's something that I've 
oh man, I'm, I'm doing more and more of it all the time as I'm, you know, I have to write treatments now and I, and I mm-hmm. have to like explain myself in words to a client, um, you know, our ideas and they have to be written out well and, and we yeah. have to write scripts now and man, that's, I, I don't know, like, you know, you, you think you sign up to become an animator and it's like all of a sudden you, exactly. you spend like half of your day writing things and, and I realize like, man, I'm, I'm way faster at animating than I am at writing. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, at the at the end of the every year, I have to start working on my uh, my budget for the next year. And boy, if there is something I do not enjoy, <laughs> it is that. It's like it's like planning. First of all, there's a lot of reasons why I don't enjoy it because you know you have to lock down a year ahead what your whole what you're planning on doing for the whole rest of you yeah. know next 365 days, which is very difficult. Things change, you know, and there's a lot of room for flexibility once if, if something happens. But you still have to figure out how much things cost, how much money you're going to get uh, once you get it. Then what do you kill? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but but it's really interesting. I've learned something at Red Giant uh, and I see this kind of get missed by uh, people as animators or anything else that they do where time is an asset. Right. But anything can be an asset, money, time. You know, when you have an unlimited amount of assets. Right. So if you're a student and you're working on a student project and there's no end date to it, that project may never get done because there's nobody making you do it. It's only when you graduate, you know, your graduation project, that kind of thing or your end of semester. Th- those th- things set set what your they set your limit on what you have, right? And limits are super important and they actually really empower you because limits make it so that you know which problems to solve and how much time you have to solve them and you just make the best call you can from that. And I've learned this from a giant when you have an unlimited number of resources because we had a small period of time where we were doing so well that we kind of said, hey, let's see what happens if we just spend money. You know what? Didn't go so well. We, we, we <laughs> didn't finish a lot of things that we wanted to because we were trying to do too many things. So we've become hyper-focused on the things that we think we're really good at, and we've had a lot of success because of that. I love that. So you're, you're kind of in, a, in a, also a unique position as, as you are also, I don't know, you, you are the head of a marketing team, which is... Uh, for a lot of of smaller studios and freelancers, like our our average client, I guess, as, as far as like someone who, um, I mean, we we got the chance to work together on on something, and, and I'm sure you find yourself um, hiring lots of outside vendors, um, and mm-hmm. and you are on that side of things as well. Um, could you talk a little bit about that, and talk a little bit about how you, um, I don't know go about trying to set up that relationship and, and also like try and look for vendors, um, other creative partners in, in projects, um, sure. as a client. I, it, yeah. Now I want to mention that you, you just, I, I just to go back because I don't want to forget to talk about it. Oh, of we, course. We talked about, um, you know, you said executive producer, MoGraph return executive producer, and I haven't really talked about that aspect of my work yet. Oh yeah. So I just want to make sure that people don't hear that and get confused. Cause I ended up not talking about being an executive producer. No, um, yeah, let's can, come back I, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. You want to come back to that first? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, the reason I have that part of my bio says turned executive producer and writer is, is it's probably my favorite part of what I do at Red Giant. I don't do it as much as I would like, you know, and if you're going to ask me what my ideal dream project is, it would be do more of what we did on old new, which Mm -hmm. was, uh, I get to do, it's a lazy work, man. I get to write (laughs) with Seth Worley and then he does all the hard work. Right. And then, and then I just give feedback on that hard work and then it gets just a little bit better because he's that good already, you know? (laughs) Um, but I wrote with Seth, uh, old new, which was for me the, probably the most rewarding project I've worked 
on it all. So it was this film that we made that was built around the last release of Magic Bullet, Magic Bullet Suite 12, so not 13, the most recent one. But we had this new product called Magic Bullet Film, and the idea behind Magic Bullet Film was that you could take your new footage and you apply Magic Bullet Film to it, and it looks like it's uh, been been filmed, like filmed on film, and then color processed, and then laid from the negative to a final uh, a final film with that color grading all kind of in it. So. You end up with this sort of stuff that look, can look vintage, old, like there's a slider for old and there's a slider for new, right? You, and it's just about the colors and the way that stuff is processed, how it used to be processed, how it is now. And we came up with this idea to tell a story about a guy who's obsessed with new things. It's like this little slider gave us what we needed to come up with a story. There's a guy who's obsessed with new things. He comes in contact with something old and that makes him uh, just become obsessed with old things. And he swings in the completely other direction. And now he's living in a shack in the woods, you know. <laughs> and and it's the story of him finding balance in his life between these two things. And we we uh, we knew we wanted someone with a great voice to narrate it. And we tried a few people, but the person who was number one on my list, uh, who I, I just wanted this person to do it, was Patton Oswalt. And it just <laughs> happened that that we knew two different people who knew him, and we got connected to him both uh, both through both people. And he was willing after he saw the 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 after he saw the cut of the film with the narration, he loved it, and he just was willing to do it wow. for us for free. That's and amazing. he narrated that film. And it's this film that's told in rhyme. Seth and I have little kids. We were reading a lot of Dr. Seuss, you know. So it really just felt like it was like this project that really was like from our personal lives brought into this. And, you know, we used an online thesaurus for some of those rhymes because they were hard. You get really hard after the first three. <laughs> and uh, and I have not had as much fun as I did in that process. After I wrote it, gave it to, you know, Seth kind of went with it and actually made it beautiful. Beautiful piece of work. I think it's, it's one of the best things I've ever seen him do. Although he's got something coming out uh, this week will probably be out already when when you guys uh, hear this that he did with uh, artist uh, Joey Ellis, a comic yeah. book artist. No, it, like it literally um, just came out. Coming out. The pitch came out this morning, actually. Yeah, so it was um, this morning. So that's it. Yeah. And and he man, you know, Joey, Joey, we um, I think that like Seth and I talked about trying to work with Joey on the last film we did, which was Go Bag. I think like we were just joking around. What are things we could beat people with? Because it's about a, you know this woman who's being chased by bad guys and just to beat them up with the contents of a of a bag that doesn't belong to her. And you know we started with things like umbrellas. We're like, what about a comic book? I don't remember how that kind of came about. And we were like, that'd be crazy. And like that's why that's how we kind of connected with with Joey because because like you know we loved his work. Seth turned me on to his work. We're like that is a guy that like we could do anything with him to be fun. And and Seth really Seth has always wanted to work with him. So that was a great sort of segue. And from that. It became this new project that he's worked on for for Leaky Timbers, yep. the show pitch, which is incredible. You know, so funny. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. these projects, are, they're so interesting. How they lead from one thing to another. Just the connection with people and my interning and how the connections I made with people back then and how much they've mm -hmm. come back to to help me today and the people I've helped with podcasting through through my podcast. You know how how they today like they know who I am and when I reach out on Twitter, I need help with something. People just are there for me. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, that that's that's incredible. Um, yeah, so Leaky Timbers is the the project that we were just talking about. Um, I think Seth talked about it a little bit on his his um, his episode of a few weeks ago. Um, it's definitely worth going and, and checking out because it's hilarious. But then also old and new. You, anyone listening yeah, old, should also old slash old new. slash new. Yeah, yeah it's 
Yeah, I think I think that's my favorite. I've like talked to Seth. I asked Seth what his favorite one was. That one is definitely mine. I just think it's so so smart and like just perfectly paced. It's it's it definitely yeah. true. I mean, out you know, he, it, the thing is, I'd love to sit, to take any real claim on that. You know, writing to me, writing is 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 easy at least in that venue. I, I, plus, I have a really great writing partner on these things. Seth is, and he does a lot of the heavy lifting, and if not all of it, in some of the films, he's done all of it. But working with him has been. Like he's a good sort of my worst jokes. He keeps them out, and and you know like he and he puts in such great stuff. He jokes and he says that he hides the ugliness of his work in his humor, but he does beautiful work. And this project, the reason I, I I brought up Leaky Timbers is because because I've known like I've seen Seth do some great stuff, but I think Leaky Timbers is on a whole new level. Again, he's working with an artist who's really talented, Joey Ellis, and mm-hmm. and between the two of them have created something just so much fun. I laughed so hard. I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. <laughs> I'll admit it's after the election and everyone's feeling a little weird about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like everyone's in a weird place, you know, but like I, <laughs> I, uh, I laughed uh, so hard at that. And, and I'm really, I, I, I think there's going to be something huge. I, I really wish Joey a tremendous amount of luck on this because it deserves to be a TV show. It's so fantastic. So yeah, and well, everybody go go back it. it should, it'll probably be on Kickstarter by the time this is out. So yeah, yeah, go go throw all your money at them. It'll be great. So one of the things that that these films allow me to do is, even though I'm not carrying the load, and it becomes Seth Seth and his team, you know, whoever he films with, and becomes their their burden, uh, which they always carry so well. Um, and he does again a lot of a lot of the work. Once we're in, once we've gone from filming to post, he's just carrying that. You know, I've gotten to do a few visual effects shots for for each of the films, and and I love that. Like, I love being able to sort of just kind of put something into it, and it's like having a it's like having a nephew as opposed to a kid. You know, like when the kid starts screaming, that's when I can hand it back to the other person. Like, yeah, that's your problem now. Like to my sister when she had kids, I was like, yeah, this is your problem now. And now with my kids, I can't hand them off to anybody. So yeah. that's what it feels like. It's it's Seth. Seth's got the, the film is his child. I'm I'm just carrying a little bit of it for a few minutes to take it off, that bit off his hands, and then I'm like done. I'm like, yep, the rest of it, you're putting this kid to bed right now. I'm not handling any of that. So, that's the. Uh, that, so you asked if I missed it, and and no, I I get to I miss it, but not really because I still get to do a lot of yeah. great stuff. Yeah, well, I think and and that's I think that can be a challenging thing too. Do you do you ever find that you get things back and. I mean, you're part of that kind of evaluation process, right? Of like, you know, like mm-hmm. how good is this? Like, is this, is there anything that we can do to push this to the next level? Um, is that something you, like a conversation you find yourself having often? Like kind of the difference between, I don't know, good and great or like, like I don't know, do you, do you find yourself in the position to kind of push the people that you work with a little bit to make For um, sure. even better work? For, for sure. Seth tells me that I, I, I solve the world's problems when I'm not just comment at a time um uh, but the truth is that like i you know thankfully he and i have a good relationship working together that he already knows that anything i say comes from a good place but i will sometimes get very nitpicky and you know what he'll come back to me tell me dude i got 10 bigger problems to solve and he's totally right and i'm just being and i'm just like i've got this, this ocd side to me that is, I mean, like, really, I don't even like. I'm not saying that, in, like, in jest to make to in any way make fun of people. OCD. It runs in my family, and I, I have managed to channel that into my work so that I can live a normal life, more or less. But yeah. you know, but it's this obsessive side of me that wants to fix every detail, and he's a great balance for that because as a director, he spends like an incredible amount of time solving problems, and I actually got to work with him on set for a for a couple of different things. And watching him made me so jealous of his ability to, in the moment, solve problems that I would otherwise choke on. And I I see this with a lot of directors. I really respect directors more than I ever have, having worked with with Seth, because 
you know, you're presented with new problems that the audience never knows anything about. They know, okay, I had to composite this guy into this background. I get it. That's hard. But you know what? What if you show up somewhere and there's where you were supposed to film something, you know, hey, they had a fire last <laughs> night and the building's gone. What are you yeah. going to do? And it, things like that happen, you yeah. know? So, you know, we're not talking about big budget Hollywood films. You know, independent filmmakers have to work with locations that they don't really have a lot of control over. So yep. things, strange things can happen. You know, I think one time on a film, we, we needed to block off a street and it turned out the paperwork hadn't gotten done. And, you know, there were creative solutions around it. But, you know, like, but, but Seth has to think that stuff through. And for me, you know, I, I, um, I just kind of learned from this stuff. I love seeing how that's done because it's, a, it's something for me to aspire to. Yeah, we're so, we're so spoiled as animators and and visual effects artists. We you know we would get presented with a problem, and like hmm, let me think about that for you know a few hours, maybe a day, and then uh, we get we get a little while to we don't have to think on our feet as often. Maybe it's uh, it's very impressive. But it's uh, but it, but it is hard. You know, it's hard to give people feedback. You know, because you're there's just there's this thing, and I I have this saying. Shy people get nothing, and that's what they deserve. It was told to me by someone in college, and who was a knight, actually, like a like a he was knighted by the oh, uh, wow. Spanish monarchy, and he was a teacher at my university, and you know he he had very gone very far in his career as an educator and whatnot, and, and he said that to me, and I found that really offensive at first. I was like, yeah. you know, that's not fair. Shy people don't deserve not to have anything, <laughs> but the truth is that's not true. I mean. It, it's true that they don't they probably don't deserve to not have things but that's not the way the world works and so giving feedback telling people how you feel about things telling people what you need from them that's how you get that's how you get better results you know you can say i'm afraid someone's going to be upset at me for for telling them something they don't want to hear but you can't really great do great work if someone doesn't give you good honest feedback mm-hmm. and um and I, and I mentioned this because it's a really interesting conversation i had with john knoll once i like to talk about this because this was again one of these moments in my life where i had a conversation with somebody who said something to me that has just kind of resonated with me and stayed with me every day of my life when working with people he john knoll if you if you're not sure who he is um he is the co-creator of photoshop he worked on star wars he is industrial light and magic's create chief creative officer yeah. Right. Also, creator of No No Life Factory, one of the products that Red Giant makes. But that's, believe me, not his claim to fame. <laughs> um, you know. But he, but he said this to me. I was like, you know, because he's, he's a he's an introvert. Near as you can tell, he he doesn't say anything unless he's got something to say, and it's a really great trait. You know, like being introverts, people think they're shy. That's not what that is. Introverts are people who just they draw their energy from within. They don't feel the need to fill the the empty silence with talk. And unlike me, um, but they, my wife is an introvert. And so they talk, they say things when they need to say it. Probably one of the smartest people at my company right now, the, uh, one of our like lead engineers, he is like, when he talks, like I, I listen carefully because he does really not say much unless he's got something to say. And John Knoll, I, I said to him, well, how do you feel about that saying? Shy people get nothing and that's what they deserve. And his first reaction was, well, that seems unfair. And I'm like, well, let's be clear. I'm not talking about introverts. People don't have anything to say. I'm talking about people who who are afraid of giving their opinion. He goes, well, no, that I agree with. He said, when I first started, I I was afraid to give people feedback because it would hurt their feelings. He's like, but I very quickly learned that people want to do their best work and and they can't do that unless they're getting that honest feedback. So you're doing them, you're not doing themselves them a favor. You're not doing yourself a favor when you're not sharing that. And so I've always felt to be honest about people's work and where how I feel about it. I was, you know, you you talk about the good so they know that you like it. But when when it comes time to get things done, and we're in crunch time. I'm just brutally honest about it because it, we have we don't have a lot of time. And and if you have enough trust between the people you're working with, they'll forgive that. 
as long as they know that you're what your goal is and if the goal is to just so that they can do their best work then yeah it's not to berate them in any way it's like hey this doesn't look good we got to fix this i can't hear your audio here you know i i really think that we need to have a, uh something on screen here that's not here can we composite that in like really you think we need that and i'm like i'm telling you the joke's not as funny without that you know okay great so let's do that you know and like that and i feel like that trust is something that is I don't know that that can be maybe difficult to build. Do you do you find that that is um, like built over time, or it's built through like being I don't know fair with your feedback, or like also talking about the good things? Like, yeah, I don't know. Is that something yeah, that's built over time? It's a combination. Of, it's a combination of all of that. You know, making note when people do good work. You know, that's important. Honestly, I, I appreciate when I hear it from my boss, but the truth is, I I spend most of my time just wanting to, do, to to continue making my work better. So the only reason I really enjoy getting that feedback is so that I know what I'm doing right. Yeah. You know, otherwise, otherwise I don't generally, generally need to, to hear, it. you know, I, I don't mind it at, at bonus time. That's a great time to let me know uh, <laughs> that, uh, that I'm doing good work, but not in, in all seriousness. Like I don't, I don't live for the, for that approval. I, I just like, I live for doing good work. Like yeah. a lot of my time is spent focused on that. Approval's great. It really does help uh, galvanize you when you're feeling a little down. So I'm just, no, this is great. And that's really important and what they like about it, you know, but that's not it. I, I find that I, I like to give that feedback to my team, tell them when they're doing good work. But I also, I find that like, yeah, you have to build trust. Um, that trust is, is hard because people don't want, people, there's a defense mechanism. When they hear that their work's not good, you know, I've always said this, when you are an, an artist, you know, you're putting yourself, everything you, you create is actually a side of you. You know, it's not like when you go up to a woman at a bar and you're like, hey, you know, can I buy you a drink? And she's like, nah, you're not my type. You know, what does she know about you? She takes one look at you. That's not that's not knowing you. That's not a rejection of you. That's a rejection of a surface version of you. But for an artist, man, it's your soul, right? Yeah. You're doing artwork. You're creating something that, that you feel is beautiful and important. And someone rejects that. They are not rejecting you based on how you look. They are rejecting like all that you are and that can be very <laughs> no, painful for real. yeah you know so i personally say this when you are somebody who's starting out and trying to get better find somebody that you can forgive my wife is that person for me she can be brutal but she but like i will forgive her um when she tells me that my stuff isn't good because she also tells me when she likes my stuff and i know that even if she's maybe not an artist and she doesn't necessarily appreciate some of the technical aspects of what it is we're doing um but that honest feedback can really be helpful. And yeah. so I have that with a couple of a couple of other people that I work with, like Seth, for example. But, you know, I, I think having somebody that you will forgive, who will tell you, who will be honest with you, tell you when your work sucks is uh, is super, super important. So what do you do when when I don't know, you're presented with some work that you maybe know isn't quite working or maybe something that you're working on yourself and it's not quite working you don't really know where to go with it um and you kind of come up come into that kind of creative challenge or roadblock um like where do you go from there like how do you kind well, of I send, it, I send it to other people i mean that's that's you know at some point you, you know you get so close to something you need to send it to people you trust that you have a good relationship with that really uh that can give you valuable feedback you know i have people that i work with i send things to um, sometimes I'll find out that, boy, have I really missed the mark on this. <laughs> and sometimes I'll be, I'll be really down on myself and yeah. someone's like, no, oh, it's really not bad at all. And I think you're saying it's bad, but if you make this, this, and this change, you know, I think it'll be really great. And that's good too. And when client, you know, people come to me with work, that's maybe not great. Maybe not as good as I think it is. I, I am honest. I mean, look, we worked together. We worked on this project, you know, our red giant and your company, we worked together. And there was a point, I think, I can't remember 
what the deal was. There was like a musical note that was bothering me. It was like so specific. <laughs> and I got on the phone and I sang it to you, to you guys. I was like, that that note is just bugging me because it feels like it's it's not the end of the song and then nothing comes after it. And they're like, oh, you know, it's the key of G. Like, okay, well, great. You know, like that was something about it just made me feel uneasy and I couldn't describe it. But I know that like, like I can only imagine guys like this guy is actually singing a musical <laughs> note to us. This is ridiculous. But, but the truth is, I, I think that through that process, you know, my my very honest uh, feelings about stuff was really helpful in quickly honing the final result and yeah. and you know getting it off your plate because honestly you guys want to get it off your plate as fast as you can too right you have not, not because you don't want to do it but because you know you have other clients to service and if I can be direct about what it is I like and what it is I don't like then everybody saves time and no, time sure. is the only thing you cannot have back mm, yeah no and it's and it's great to get that like that that very clear and and it's and honest like just just knowing that your client is and your your partners your creative partners are are giving you their honest feedback i think is so helpful too yeah i mean i i find that uh that that i i've cultivated enough relationship with the people i work with that uh when they give me like that I most of the time they don't hold back either and it can be brutal sometimes i can like seriously have to take a step away from my computer sometimes that feedback can be can make me feel bad, but then I take a step back, oh, yeah. 10, 10 minutes away from my computer, start <laughs> thinking about it clearly, you know, depending on how brutal it was. And I'm yep. like, wow, they are so right. I <laughs> yeah. really need to not do this, you know? So, and that works with relationships too. Sometimes people will tell you you're acting like a jerk yep. because you've gotten so intense on that project. And then you have to take a step back and recognize that, you know, people coming to you, they're telling you that out of love, not because they think you're being a jerk. They're telling it to you because they know you're not a jerk, but you're acting like a jerk. <laughs> So. Yep. No. I oh, mean, I wish I wish I could stop that like gut reaction, right? Like when someone first tells you like something isn't working, like yes, it mm -hmm. does. It works. What are you talking? Yeah. And then like, and then you get you you know, you jump into that defensive like emotional state, yeah. and then and then you you kind of step back and you you come back out of the next day and you're like, dang it, they're right. Well, here's here's my best. Here, here's like what I can tell you is you know you've gone that way if. What you just said, what just came out of your mouth was something that sounds akin to, well, my mother says I can sing really well, you know, right? You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll get defensive about it, and you're like, well, I know somebody who thinks it's funny. You know, like, that's not, are you usually like, okay, wait a second, wait, did I just say that? Okay, okay, let me see, let me, let me, uh, wow, yeah, so... So, I mean, you've had quite a few different roles. I mean, you've taught, uh, you started your own company, um, you're, you're now working as um, an executive producer and writer, you're leading a team. I don't know, th throughout all of that, is there is there anything that you wish that you had known when you're first starting out or, or maybe any, any advice for students or beginners trying to get into um, the animation industry? Yeah, I was asked to speak at a School of Visual Arts a couple of years ago about being an artist and having a, being in the business of, of art, you know, um, and I, and it forced me to categorize the best things I've learned or the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. And I broke it down into 20 different things. Nice round number. It wasn't on purpose. It just kind of worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. And I broke them into, I wrote an article called you're not that talented and other advice. And it kind of got passed around the industry a lot because it was just full of this wasn't my advice, like what I think you should do. It's like what I've learned and what other people have told me who've gone very far. And, you know, there's things like the first thing that I started with is you're not that talented. Right. And and it's it, the point is not that you actually aren't talented, but there's always going to be someone more talented than you. What you bring to the table has to be more than that, because I've known plenty of talented people who could not bring a project home. And and, and as a, someone who does someone who's working 
knowledge of the tools you're using and uh, and the ability to work well with people way outweigh your talent. Because a lot of the time, you're not doing work that requires a ton of talent. I mean, for all the work that I did on, on Nickelodeon for years, you know, I would work with designers and they would give me like they would give me the starting point that was already from the artwork perspective done. I just had to bring it to life, you know? And so I didn't have to create the art or the aesthetic for it. I just had to make it work yeah. and being able to solve problems and get along with people and take that feedback was much more important than being a talented artist per se, hmm. you know, if that makes any sense. Oh, it totally does. You know, I also say, you know, on that list is uh, ask yourself what it is you want to do. People like to send me uh, their kids who are interested in animation or video or visual effects or something in Hollywood. And I always, the first question I always ask those kids is like, by kids, I mean, their kids are about to go into college or maybe they're in college and they're about to leave. I was like, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, you know, I could be an editor. I could do motion graphics. I was like, oh, time out, buddy. I didn't ask you what you could do. <laughs> I asked you what you want to do, right? Want, like, I've never known anybody who, who really achieved a, a great amount of success not really knowing what they wanted to do. I mean, let's be clear. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a long time, but but I didn't really find my 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 mojo until I decided that like I was going to do what I was doing at Red Giant. Like, I was doing all these things, and they, I was doing okay, and I was enjoying it, but there was no direction. But since I got here, like, I've become super directed about what I do, and I feel like that's just been a whole other stage of my life where I get to do all the things I used to love doing. I didn't get to do as much of that then. I'm doing more of a, of a lot of it now. And I'm and I'm just like achieving more than I've ever achieved, not by the grace of myself, but by being able to help other people to achieve, you yeah. know. And so knowing what you want to do, if I knew if I had realized back then that I wanted to lead people, that's what I really wanted to do, lead a team of really talented people. You know, at the time, I just wanted to be an animator. But once I realized that I was good at at working with artists and, and leading them and giving them just putting things in front of them that they could get done and, and just being there to remove any obstacles that got in their way. Like that was the moment for me, you know, and that was a couple of years ago. And it's really felt like that's like a stage of my life that I've been really proud of. Um, and, and I think there's lots of other advice and knowing what your abilities are. And I said the thing about being shy and and remember that you're, you should act like the person you want to be, not the person you are today. Like remember that focus on who you want to be and and treat like behave that way. You know, it doesn't mean tell everybody you're awesome when you're not, but it means be professional. Like maybe, okay, maybe you're working in some in some cruddy animation house that they don't pay you well or whatever. But for now, that's your gig. Do the best work you can do. And even Seth told me this, like he he did everything he's ever done. He's given 100%. That's how I found him. He told me he worked at a Starbucks, you know, his first gig was like a Starbucks. And he quickly like rose to, I think, a manager position because he just gave it 100% of his time. For me... For me, it's always been like come in early, leave late, do what I need to do to get that job done, and to be to, for people to know that they can rely on me. And and uh, you know, and that comes back to you because people recognize that hard work. So even if if it's not the kind of place where people do that, I've always pushed myself in that way. You know, there's, look, there's plenty of other advice in that in that article, like about continuing to learn. You know. Uh, trying to figure out what like like very specifically what you want to do because the idea of people saying they're jacks of all trades has always bugged me because people forget that the second half of the saying jack of all trades is master of none and <laughs> at some point you got to be a master of something you know generalist gigs are not like they, they don't there aren't that many of them you know people are looking for very specific things that you're really good at motion graphics you're really good at 3d uh, modeling that kind of thing so there's room to always sort of grow into these roles but being good at something being really good at something you know, sets shows that you are 
capable of taking other knowledge and other things that they might want you to one day do and being knowledgeable about that and expert at that at a later time. But if you're not an expert at anything, who's to say you could ever be, you know? Yeah. So, so, so what are you, uh, oh, and by the way, we'll have, we'll have that in the show notes, the link to that article, and we'll, we'll probably be tweeting it a couple times from the Animalators account. Um, definitely worth checking that out. Um, yeah. but you mentioned in there, like, um, you know, kind of just always, always be learning new things and also, mm-hmm. also progressing towards, um, mastery and, and not just being a jack of all trades, but like figuring out something that you love and, and learning as much as you can about it to be, become mm-hmm. a master. And that is, so is there anything that, that you are kind of pursuing in that regard? What, what are you learning right now? Me? I mean, I, I, I'm always watching, uh, I'm always, first of all, always doing tutorials. I see an interesting tutorial. I'm always trying to understand more about how, how, how things are done. Yeah. Um, I've been, where you are know, you, where are you code, finding those recently? Uh, you know, okay. So there's some great stuff that like, I love video copilot who doesn't, course, I mean, I, I, I find, so the thing <laughs> is I know that I can, a lot of that stuff is more like, Oh, I know how to do that. But then I watch Andrew do it oh, and he's yeah. had a whole other workflow that yep. is just like, wow, I didn't think to do it that way. And that's pretty awesome. You know, I work with, I'm fortunate also to work with guys like Seth and, and Harry Frank, you know, who also create training and show how they how they got to there. So I'm always focused on that. I'm just, I'm reading a lot, you know, cameras and, and I, because Rich Ian is focused on, you know, we do a lot of different things. We do motion graphics, we do visual effects and we do color correction. I'm in this mode right now. Color correction was always this thing that, that was, um, sort of like outside the realm of what I as an animator would do, but but I've come to understand how important it is and, and understanding that process and getting good at it has been really important in the last year to me because it just you can take something that looks okay and make it just look amazing by understanding just a little bit about that process of of color and how colors interact with each other and color palettes and how you can give something more contrast and how that affects the feel and the mood of, of whatever you're doing. So there's not a specific, uh, I'm not specifically sitting down to learn anything, although I'm probably going to start learning a little bit more about marketing, more of the technological side of marketing as a part of my job, because I want to do that really well. And you'd be surprised at, at like, there's, there's a whole other side of marketing that is tech, you know, technological that, that is, you know, understanding how people behave and then sort of creating like content that, that caters to that, that, that automatically dynamically sort of caters to them. Someone comes to your website and they've been there before and they're really interested in motion graphics. So what's the logic we put into the site that will now show them more motion graphics stuff? And we're, we're all trying to learn that right now at Red Giant. It's just part of our process because we want to make what we're offering people more more interesting to them. So that's like something I never thought I would be doing. I never thought that I would be sort of trying to understand the way people think when they visit a website, but that's part of what I do. Like I want people to come to our site, find what they need, learn what they want to learn, and so I've got to learn a lot about that aspect of marketing too. So reading, you know, reading reading a little bit about that and uh, I'm probably going to take some classes in that just to understand at a top level how all of that stuff works. I'm constantly reading stuff about leadership um, how to how to be a better leader because uh, you know I'm I'm a guy full of flaws and I can see that I get hot headed about things and you know I want to make sure that I can be a better leader for people so that they can come to me when they have challenges um, whether they're personal or professional and you know that's that's a thing it's hard to get wrapped up in your own work and it's just sort of understanding how organizations and teams work and what you can best do to remove obstacles uh, that are in front of them and and help them to be happy and do their best work. 
So again, it's not specific to like animation or visual effects, although I'm always reading things like that. This is more about like, how do I better myself as the kind of overall person that I want to be? Hey, I'm uh, cutting in here and breaking the fourth wall just for a second to say that our recorder died right here, uh, but we have a backup recording. I didn't want you to miss out on the rest of the interview, uh, so my, my apologies for the drop in quality, uh, and let's get back into it. You guys are the best. Any books or anything you recommend? You know, uh, we just read the um, the title is for some reason totally escaping me, but there's a book by you know from from um, from Pixar. You know, it's a uh, oh, what's it called? Something Incorporated. It I don't know what. Creativity Inc. Yeah, Creativity Inc. Yeah. It's just a great sort of uh, book on the environment of creativity. I mean, look, there's a whole other side of stuff that there was all that stuff in Hollywood about price, wage fixing, and whatnot. Sure. You know, like right, and that that kind of taints uh, some of that for me. Like, oh, we make a great environment for artists, but we're also kind of keeping them in a certain like you know salary. But at the end of the day, the stuff that's in that book is actually still pretty valuable. Um, yeah, but really you know, like it's, it. It, it's 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 just about how like how you really empower people and, and, and to do their best work, and there's that. And I've read some really interesting books totally off the, the topic of that, like uh, The Purple Cow in marketing. When I first got into marketing, was like was an interesting book about how to create an imagery for your company, how to create products and imagery, uh, not imagery like visual imagery, but like the image of that product in people's mind that makes it stand out and be different. Because like there's lots of uh, software out there that people can use in their work. There's lots of different things that people can do. It's, it, that was a really great sort of lesson to me in in – like any aspect of my life, when you're trying to get a job, is what differentiates you from what's out there. Yes, you're really good as an animator. You're great, and I love that. But you know what? There's this other guy who's great as an animator too. What do you bring to the table? And please don't tell me that you play the tuba because there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for you to use that here. You know. So that you know these kinds of things. There, there's so much to learn. I, I wish I was uh, hyper focused on one thing right now. But like I said, you know, I just came off this magic bullet launch where I was super hyper focused on, on just color correction and understanding that process a little more. And now I, I came off that. You know what I did right after that? I bought a PlayStation Four and got myself, uh, <laughs> you know, Star Wars Battlefront. By the way, I'm learning to play. If anyone wants to go online and play, I'm oh. definitely interested in co-oping. Uh, but I, I, um, you know, I, I got like I just need a way to blow off some steam, and I'm actually trying to find better ways of doing that because work occupies a lot of my time. And I yeah. noticed that there was a thing you had on the sheet that you sent me that was, let's talk about work-life balance. And I would love to talk about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's hit it. So, like, so, do you – has that been, like, a, a big struggle over the years? Mm. Work-life balance, man. Before I came to Red Giant, it was work with a little bit of life, right? Red Giant is a company that is very focused on a good work-life balance. We're very much a lifestyle company, as we call it. We have this thing that we work with called the double bottom line, which is, you know, the bottom line. Everyone knows the bottom line. How much money can you make, right? But we, as a company, also focus on how much can we do without without making our lives miserable? What can we do to enjoy our lives more? And so that has been the best – this has been the best eight years of my life for work because wow. there's been this focus on on – on work, you know, work and life being really balanced. Now, I'm not going to lie. When we have a big product launch where we're launching seven new products and it's Magic Bullet, you know, I will go for a month, a month and a half, like barely seeing my family because like that just requires a certain kind of mindset. But, but you know what? In any other, any other time of day, any other, any other, any other day that's all things being equal, my family comes first. I get up, uh, I take my kids to school every day, I drop them off, I come to work, then I, I'm home in time every night to read to them, put them to bed, maybe even play with them a little bit. I, my weekends totally belong to me. 
Um, and if I've had ever had emergency and anybody who has kids has had plenty of them and my, my kid's school is five blocks from my office. So when there's an emergency, I'm the guy, you know, not my wife who works downtown. Um, I'm the guy. I just drop everything and go. And at Red Giant, that's like, you do that life family comes first. So I've managed to very luckily do that. But that was in part because I decided that I could not continue the way I was working at 100 hours a week, not sleeping. You know, I didn't have like I, my daughter was born. I was like, I, I, this worked for, you know, for like two people who are young at the beginning of their careers. But now that we have kids like this is not this is not a good thing. Like I can't live this way. And I know people who continue to live this way and they move around because they have they have to follow the work. But like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be, and and I knew that then, and I'm I'm lucky. I'm not saying it's it's possible for everybody, but I I valued uh, I valued having that balance more than I valued having a high salary. You know, I know people who are hedge fund managers or work in the stock market, and you know, I had a conversation with them about it, and they're like, well, what time do you get up in the morning? They're like, oh, well, I'm out the door at like 7 a.m., maybe even 6 o'clock a.m., depending on what they're doing, if they've got to read for markets opening. And and then they're like, I get home like at 8 or 9 at night. I'm like, do you see your kids? Like, on the weekends, I see them most of the time, you know. I'm like, wow. You know, like, I, I just... I just see my kids every day. I don't know if I could live that way. He goes, well, I think it's my job to, to make sure that my kids are provided for so that they have everything they need when they're, you know, when they're grown up. They'll have what they need. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, from my perspective, that is a perspective. And I don't disrespect it. But from my perspective, I want to be there for my kids now. And yeah. you know what? I, I think it's their job to figure out how they're going to support themselves when they get out of the house. <laughs> you know? um, but, I, but no, really. I mean, like, I understand that. There's a lot of people grow up in situations that are tough. And maybe they want to make sure they don't grow up the way... That that they they make sure their kids don't grow up the way they did, or maybe they grew up in a way exactly like them, and they want to continue that. For me, I I want to spend time with my kids. It's it's your one opportunity to program human beings and to get exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know, doesn't always come out the way you expect it, but you know, I can talk about Star Wars with my kids to the end of time, and it's like it's it's awesome. You know. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Well, um, I think we're 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 coming up on our, our time here. Is there any other other s- subjects that you wanted to hit before we uh, we move on to like we just have this like final like quick quick fire uh, questions to end each episode? But is there anything no, else that you wanted to hit that we didn't hit? I think we did pretty well. I mean, I, I can talk yeah, forever, I but, I, but let's <laughs> uh, let's just go for it. Let's see if I can answer okay. your quick fires. Cool. All right. So we try to end each 42. episode. Yeah. Oh, no. all right. And we're I, out. I, I, I'm just, I was just giving the answers. Okay. Sorry. Let's try it again. I'm... <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we, we try to end each episode with the same few questions. Um, so the first question is, who is your dream client, which might not actually work super well for you. So I guess I would just say, what is your dream project, which I think you already touched on a little bit. Yeah, the, the projects we work on on our film project at Red Giant are my ideal ideal project where it's uh, a lot of – I get to put a lot of creativity in at the beginning um, and then, and then you know, let somebody else do their best work uh, and, and then come back and sort of help bring it together at the end and, and removing obstacles through that process. You know, and again, I don't even want to make it sound like I'm claiming more credit than I deserve. Just that – just being involved in those at all – even at a, at a very minute level has always been the most rewarding for me because it's the, it, I always wanted to make films, you know, when I, I was learning visual effects, I wanted to just do something interesting, write stories and tell stories. And, and even though I'm not, that's not what I do every day, those things let me tap into that without letting go of being able to support my family and, and do the other work that I do. So it's, that's my ideal. All right. Next question. What is your favorite animated film? 
Wow, that is a that is a tough one, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, you know, I, I like, gosh, I, I loved obviously, you know, the, every, the stuff from Pixar. I mean, I, I love The Incredibles, but I think that was more the subject matter than the animation itself. You know, with Pixar, it gets so hard because like you're like, oh, yeah. another beautiful movie from Pixar. You know, like really, like really, that's what it's, it's come to. Um, that movie, that movie for me was pretty awesome. But I would say that like the ones that 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 blew my mind were not animated. They were just they contained animation. Um, yeah. Tron and uh, the Last Starfighter, right? Were like early days of 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 animation, of computer animation being put yeah. into movies. And those movies like stuck with me as like wow, you can mix. Even though you, by the way, you watch them now, like you were like wow, they really did. You really could not mix. And computer animation with live action, but you pretended you could. Um, now you can do it, but back then it was like sort of like almost like a test bed for the possibilities. And so, those are yeah for me, those are the ones that really struck home with the the, the concept of computer animation and uh, yeah and and I love mixing that. live action. I think I think you're the first person to say Tron is their favorite animated film. I, but I think that's great. It, it, like I said, it's um, not even my favorite animated film. It's like my favorite film that you like. It, it was so unique yeah, in its no. day, and and I just remember like being totally stoked when I saw it, and like, wow, did they just do this? And that movie was a financial failure, you know, the first time around. So really, yeah, it did not do that. well. And and I think that they were they, they didn't they were left out of the Academy Awards because they cheated because they used animation, if I recall. Oh wow! But that's obviously changed. But uh, but yeah, yeah. So, Huh. So that was it. But I, I, it's not my favorite animated film, but it's one of the. It's an a film that contains animation that st- has stayed with me as yeah. just one of the driving things in um, my life. All right, next qu- next question. Uh, what do the people you love think that you do for a living? So what what does your kids <laughs> think that you do all day at work? Oh my god, let me start with this. My 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 mother in law's friends, right? I just gotta start. This is really funny because in college I used to act, and um and. And once I went to work in television, they they just could not process. Like I'm from, I'm I'm an Orthodox Jew, and I'm from uh, you know a Jewish neighborhood, and uh, this was like they're like Aaron Rabinowitz, the actor. That's what they all think I do. Like they, all, all of our old friends, like because that, that's what they like, oh the actor, he's the actor, he's in Hollywood, he's an actor. Oh my god, it's hilarious. My parents uh, until I started teaching at Pratt could not explain to anybody what I do, and then they started telling people I was a teacher, which is fine. You know they couldn't do it. My kids. Uh, they they know I make movies. That's what they know. And they I've done right. animation with them. I even did like an episode of Red Giant TV, like a like where, where I did like a spaceship beaming up my son, which but it was awesome because when I, I filmed it with him, and then when I showed him the final, he had this moment of what just happened? You know, like how did that even happen? I beamed up the ship, and uh, I did a thing for my daughter's class where I taught her class about coding for animation, where they were learning about coding. Yeah. So I showed them I showed them how I use uh, scripting and After Effects to save me a lot of time so they have an understanding of what i do obviously they don't really understand the marketing side of it you know but yeah that's uh my wife understands perfectly what i do probably more than she wants to know um <laughs> but uh but she's been awesome like she's been so encouraged like she's the reason i switched from psychology to animation i didn't have the courage to do it and she said you know what you want to do just do it and we'll figure out how to make it work financially and we did but you know it was a scary wow. time but she she backed me yeah so all right. Last question: What animal did you choose for your animalator, and why? So the picture that I used was I recently had a an MRI, and uh, and I took the layers of the MRI and I laid that out in three D space so that it would look like an actual three D model of my of my innards. Um, and then I put a cat in there, not because I'm cat like. <laughs> I actually think if I'm anything, I'm more dog like in terms of personality. But I've owned cats uh, my whole life, and I just I like them because um, they're 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 not as uh, in, in your face. 
you know, they kind of like they, they they like you, and if if they do like you, they they will kind of hang out with you. But you know, like I don't have to take it for a walk, which is awesome in the winter. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I'm also allergic to cats, as I discovered only like last year, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, but that's not stopping me from having them. It's just had I've had sinus infections my for the last thirty years of my life. So that kind of explains a lot of what's causing the agitation. <laughs> and you know, and, and like when I get sick, sometimes I get asthmatic reactions. If my cat sleeps on my pillow, then I'm oh, wow. you know. But yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, it's just yeah. I I like cats. I like dogs. I, I like I said, I wanted to be a veterinarian until I learned you had to know about science, and that killed that. <laughs> but but yeah, I've always been uh, like animals are like just something about like I I love the company of animals. Um, the best animation places, animation houses I've ever worked in had like dogs sitting around. They usually sit at my feet and I pet them throughout the day. You know, it's good therapy. Um, yeah. But yeah. So it's a cat a cat in my brain on the inside of my head. Well, that that is all I've got for you. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. Animalators is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and created in collaboration between Identity Visuals and Gradient. To learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out IdentityVisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. And you can follow us on Twitter at Animalators. To find out more about Aron and the work he's doing at Red Giant, head to redgiant.com slash films and follow him on Twitter at ABAO Productions. The theme music to the show was written and produced by Cody Fry. Check out more of his work at codyfry.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you're into this podcast, we'd love for you to leave a review or drop us a note. We always love getting your feedback. And when you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other animators find this podcast too. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. <laughs>